Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the In Control Family Foundation podcast. Today I am here with Jeremy Randall. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Dan. And we are going to talk about safe driving and adapting to new landscapes. The premise here is that you're going to drive primarily in the neighborhood or community that you live. You're going to spend a fair amount of time driving in the city if you live in the city or in the suburbs if you live in the suburbs or in the rural area if you live out in the farmlands. And and we want you to recognize that you may find yourself in the mountains or you may not have driven rural much and you may find yourself there or you should be thinking about the different things that you need to adapt. So let's start with mountain driving, Jeremy. What unique um, issues can happen there? Well, obviously, you can have some some very steep inclines and declines. Uh, there can be very quick changes in weather, especially in the mountains. You could be, you know, at the lower side, and it's a beautiful seventy degree day, and you get to the top, and it's snowing. So you need to be aware of changing weather, changing landscapes overall, uh, wildlife. Obviously, you know, mountains tend to be much more of a rural area in general. And so you're going to have a lot more wildlife, especially around the side of highways. And rocks in the road are common as well, especially when they've cut into the side of the mountain to to create the road. You can get some falling rocks in, in certain places. So we need to make sure we understand some of the basics of how to handle these situations. And if you don't have anything like this around you at all to actually go drive by, at least have this conversation with your teen about how they could adapt to these situations. To start off, we want to make sure we pay attention to speed limits. When you talk about mountain roads, uh, speed limit signs are often changing, right? There can be some very tight turns, um, uphill and downhill. They might allow you to go a little bit faster uphill, actually, than they might downhill, surprisingly, even though you feel like it should be different. It's much safer that way. Uh, So you just want to make sure you're very much aware of those. You're going to watch for cyclists, uh, hikers. People sometimes hike along the side of the road. You know, mountain bikers and even road cyclists often want to use those mountain roads to really get a good workout. So you got to make sure you watch out for them as well. Now, going uphill and downhill, depending on the type of vehicle you have, you know, we recommend and and the guide recommends here potentially dropping your car into a lower gear. Now, if you're going uphill and you have an automatic transmission, your car will generally do this for you if your vehicle needs it. But if you're driving a manual transmission car, you might end up putting your car into a lower gear, helping your engine pull you up that steep incline. It just makes it a little bit easier for the vehicle overall. Now, going downhill, whether it's an automatic transmission or a manual transmission, depending on how steep that downhill is and how long it is, you might want to have your car in a lower gear. So instead of in an automatic transmission, instead of a D or OD for overdrive or drive, you might want to put your car into two or potentially three, depending on the how that gearing is done. Now, what that does is just makes the gearing a little bit smaller. So when you take your foot off of the accelerator pedal, there's more engine drag. And so when you're going down a steep mountain, if you're holding your brake pedal down a lot to get your car to, to not go too fast as it goes down that hill, you can create a situation. You could burn your brakes out. You could wear them down very quickly. You could cause the hydraulic fluid in your brake lines to get overly hot and expand too much there could be some problems by the time you get to the bottom with having a whole lot of what they say, you know, brake pedal left, but your ability to slow down left. So if you use your engine to slow the car down a little bit or keep it going at consistent speed by putting it in that lower gear, allowing the engine to have more drag when your foot's not on the gas pedal, then it kind of helps you go to consistent speed down that hill. Now that's the same basic way it would work to go up the hill. 
it's got more power to pull you up the hill when your foot's in the gas pedal, but more drag. So then you would be, you know, going up the hill, you'd have your foot on the gas the whole time. And I think we've, we've probably experienced that a bit. We're going to talk about that uh, also with snowy, snowy mountains when we talk a little bit about different weather conditions later on. I might mention this again, because what we're doing when we hit the brake pedals, we're actually asking the wheels on our car to stop. And when we put the car into a lower gear, we're asking them to spin at a lower rate of speed, which often going down that hill, you're not trying to stop. You just don't want to go too fast. And so that can, that can be helpful there as well in a snowy condition. We want to make sure if we have a single lane in each direction that we're yielding to vehicles that are going uphill. So if you are coming down a hill and the road is very narrow, then you need to make sure you pull over to the side. It's not going to be hard for you to get going ahead. Again, you're headed downhill, but you need to give the right of the way to the person going uphill because they might have a really hard time getting started again on that uphill. And then never coast down the hill. Don't shift into neutral or you know disengage the clutch, push the clutch all the way in. Don't do that when you're going downhill because then it's all on your brakes. You can get going very, very fast, very, very quickly. And if you were to put the car back in gear, you could do serious damage to your transmission and your engine when it ends up going back in gear. So that's not, that's not a good plan at all. And Dan, did you want to talk a little bit about this last part? You know, higher altitudes in general can obviously be a problem too. Yeah, depending on where you're traveling, if it's unfamiliar territory and you're going somewhere that the the altitude is significantly higher than you're used to, it can have an impact on you personally. You can get a headache, you can feel nausea, uh, you can just feel substantially more tired than you were at the bottom of that hill. So be conscious of that, uh, stay hydrated, and you just don't want to have to experience altitude sickness at the same time that you're trying to maneuver through some roads that are unfamiliar to you. And finally, I just want to add for some of the things that Jeremy had suggested with regards to your transmission, this is a standard part of your vehicle's owner's manual. So if you have never had to shift the car out of drive to something other than reverse or park, it's not a bad idea to take a look at it before you talk about it with your team and try to make sure that you're doing it the proper way because some cars have some unique approaches to how you do that. I'll also just note here too that even at those higher elevations, your car is actually going to feel different when you hit the gas pedal. There's less oxygen in the air and oxygen is one of the main components that your your car's engine uses to run. And so you're going to feel the vehicle maybe feels underpowered all of a sudden. It doesn't want to go up that hill as much. You're in some of the higher elevations you know, around the world. This is a real potential problem. So not that your vehicle won't be able to make it up the hill, but you just want to make sure you, you, that you are aware that that's somewhat normal and you don't want to overtax that vehicle there either. So, Jeremy, how about rural driving? What sort of things should we be looking out for there? Well, country roads, you know, they come in all kinds of different surfaces. We've talked about this in an earlier podcast, and I want to make sure we go over it again. Um, the road surface can quickly change from pavement to gravel or dirt. It can be rutted. Uh, it can be what they call washboard, where there's little ridges and little bumps. And, you know, it's, it's uh, very jarring on the car and very jarring for the driver. And so the slower you go there, the better off you're going to be. It might be at a crawl, depending on how bad that road surface is. But we want to make sure we are adjusting our speed to the road surface that we're on. We also need to make sure we pay attention to driveways that might not be obviously marked, even um, other roads entering that might not be obviously marked. Farm equipment, railroad crossings that aren't marked and, and certainly don't have necessarily gates at them. Make sure we're paying attention to those. Bridges that can sometimes be single lane 
meaning not just single lane in each direction, like single lane, you got to take your turn, you know, turns, cars going back and forth. Just make sure that you're, you know, keeping your eyes up and you make sure you have a clear lane of path ahead of you. Uh, you know, obviously animals are, are going to be very common. Intersections might be blind due to crops or trees or just the, the general uh, terrain of the area. And it's going to be mostly about adjusting speed, keeping your eyes up. And even if it's something, if you live in an area that is very rural and you're used to that gravel road every single day, sometimes you just get overconfident. And when you're on a gravel surface like that, even a small turn in the wheel, a little bit too much throttle, ga- you know, a little bit too much gas pedal can cause you to easily lose control. So keep that in mind and keep those vehicle speeds down and always watch for that soft shoulder we talked about, you know, in the rural driving podcast earlier and really watch out for that overcorrection. Dropping a wheel on the soft shoulder, a lot of people overcorrect, they end up losing control and, and leaving the road surface on the opposite side that they actually were fearful of. So the, the last piece of the adapting new landscapes in this guide is talking about working with snow plows. And this is a more difficult thing to practice, to be honest. I mean, depending upon where you live or when your teen gets their permit and, and is doing their practicing, it may not be intelligent or even possible to get out there and drive around when there are plows working. But there are some pretty important things that you want them to remember. And Jeremy, I'll let you kind of run with it. And then you're welcome to use me as a resource as one of the silly people that is occasionally driving around out there with a plow on their vehicle. The first thing, when we see uh, snowplow lights, road crews, things like that, make sure you slow down and use caution around them. They make turns on the highway. They can be going very slow. They could be making a U-turn to head back to get more sand or salt. There's all kinds of things that they could do that aren't necessarily common on the road. So slow down, reduce your speed. And then we've got some some kind of bullet points here. Give snowplows lots of room to work. All right, there's a lot of reasons to do this. Dan and I are are in the New England area right now, and certainly we see this all the time. Depending where you are, you might not think of this, but you don't want to be right in the back of a snowplow truck that's going to salt the road when they turn that salt on, and all of a sudden there's little rocks hitting all over the front of your car. So make sure you give them a lot of room to work. When they're coming in the opposite direction, make sure you slow down and move way over to the side as much as you can safely, because certainly some snow can be flying towards you at times as well. Make sure you're not tailgating them for those obvious reasons, right? Not only are they large trucks and have blind spots uh, and they're paying attention to the job that they're doing, which is plowing, but also because of those assaulting and sanding situations, you don't want to be right very close to the back of them. Ideally, um, when there's a line of them on the highway, uh, a couple of them across, they're trying to plow, let's say you're behind, they often collect a big pile of cars behind them, a big group of cars that want to be going faster on this road. Well, the sheer fact that there are snow plows out there means the road surface needs to be treated. And so you're really never supposed to pass those plow trucks in a situation like that. Once they break up their line across the road, they're no longer blocking it. They're basically telling you it's appropriate if you do need to pass them. Maybe they're slowing down. They're going to be exiting at the next stop. They ran out of salt. You can, but then realize the road in front of you is no longer going to be treated. So you should continue to reduce your speed at that point and make sure that you're giving them the space they need and you're respecting the fact that they are out there doing a hard job to make the road safe for you. And so a lot of people get frustrated. They try to pass the plows because they're slowing them down on the highway. It's just not an appropriate thing to do. And I'm sure it could be very frustrating and dangerous as well. I've personally seen somebody go to pass. They split between two 
and kind of offset plow trucks. And then because they did that, they were reaching an untreated slippery road service. They lost control and one of the plows ran into them. There's nothing they could do. So just make sure you have those conversations. You might live in the South right now or in a warm area. You don't generally see snow, but you never know what your future holds for you. So have these conversations with your young driver at the beginning and hopefully they'll remember when you you get to a an area in which this might be needed. I guess the point I would want to emphasize with driving in the snow with regards to plow trucks and and the other uh, working machinery out there is don't expect to get anywhere quickly. Don't travel in the snow if you can. You know, if you're already out there and it starts to snow, try to get yourself somewhere, but really make it a point to avoid traveling in the snow whenever possible, especially for new drivers. I mean, it's one thing to go out and get them to the high school parking lot to do a little practice driving in the snow, but, you know, try to stay off the roads and let the professional folks treat them and understand that their visibility is limited. Your visibility is probably not fantastic, but you've seen some of these plow trucks. You know, they're not necessarily vehicles that just came off the assembly line and they're, it might be one of the older trucks that's only used a couple times a year for plowing and they don't have the best visibility or the heating system isn't working as well as you'd like it to be. And therefore their windows are a little bit more clouded up or fogged up. So just think about all those things before you assume that it's going to be okay to get out there and pass. And the only other thing I want to add with regard to being behind the plow trucks and, you know, recognizing that the road has been treated you know, oftentimes you're going to be behind plow trucks that are dropping down some sort of salt or other substance to help melt snow. And that does not happen instantaneously. So it can be real slick right behind those plow trucks. And again, it can be even worse if you get beyond them where there's a couple inches of snow piled up on top of it. So don't assume that just because you see things being spread on the roadway that it's going to have a lot of traction for you to travel right behind them either way. It's another part here we wanted to make sure we touched on too. And you know, throughout this country, we've seen in the last 20 years, this explosion of SUVs and, and trucks becoming the commonplace in what most of us are driving. And cars are really sort of like, it's, it's almost weird to see a, a four-door sedan in some parts of the country now. So I do want to talk about four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, two-wheel drive cars, just briefly here, just in the sense of what they're actually doing. What is all-wheel drive? telling you about a car? Well, it's telling you that the the power from the engine is able to go to all of the wheels on the vehicle. Now, it doesn't mean that it's evenly split between every single wheel. It just means that all of the wheels have the ability to get power. And often your computers in your car will change a, a little bit more to this tire because it has more grip, a little bit less over here. And so it's adapting to the road service, but all of your wheels are able to get power from the engine. Four-wheel drive means that all of the wheels are able to get power from the engine when it is in four-wheel drive, and that they're all going to get equal power to each wheel in four-wheel drive. Now, you never want to use four-wheel drive on a dry road surface, because let's imagine we're going around a, a turn. Well, the wheels on the inside of that turn, they've got a shorter path than the wheels on the outside of that turn. And so if all the wheels are spinning at the exact same rate, you're going to get the car shaking and, and really causing a problem for you, and it's not safe, and it, and it could certainly do damage to your vehicle. So four-wheel drive can be very helpful in the snow to get you going. It can be very helpful in a slippery situation or on gravel roads in a rural area or going up a steep hill when the road surface isn't, um, isn't smooth or, or isn't paved. These can be benefits to you. Now, in two-wheel drive vehicles, only two of the wheels get power. You have front-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. I think it's pretty obvious. Front-wheel drive, just the front wheels get the power. They pull you down the road. In a rear-wheel drive car, just the opposite. The rear wheels get the power. They're basically pushing you down the road. 
but the other wheels get no power and they're just sort of being pushed or pulled along. Now, all of this, you've heard me mention power, power, power. It's where your power from your engine is going to allow you to go down the road, to to be able to accelerate. But that's the only advantage you have is your ability to accelerate. Okay. What are some other things we do in the car? Well, we stop, we slow down and we steer. And people have this assumption a lot of times that because you have all wheel drive or four wheel drive, you're going to be able to stop and steer better in the snow, better in the gravel, better in a slippery surface than you would with two wheel drive. It isn't true. Your only advantage is getting that power to the road surface through those tires. And so if it's snowy, getting power to all four wheels in all wheel drive and four wheel drive gets you to accelerate better than two wheel drive cars. But all of these different models, all wheel drive, four wheel drive, front wheel drive, rear wheel drive, all four of the tires, the wheels on your car, the corners of your car will have brakes. And just the front two wheels are the ones steering you in different directions. So the braking and the steering is still exactly the same between these different models. But it can get a little bit worse than that because often all wheel drive and four wheel drive vehicles, they're a lot heavier than two wheel drive vehicles. And heavier vehicles are going to generally take longer to stop, not shorter. And then we often also get that false sense of security because we were on that snowy road and we hit the gas pedal with our four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive and the vehicle went pretty well down the road. Then we have this sort of assumption or, or false sense of security that we're going to be able to stop or steer better as well. And I just want to make sure I point out that that isn't the case. If you have an all-wheel drive vehicle, you can accelerate better. Great. But you can't stop or steer better. And you're probably in a heavier vehicle. Right, and and you might get that false sense of security, and not actually realize how slippery it is out. So just because you have the ability to go faster because you can accelerate better, does not mean you should. And in fact, it means just the opposite. You should actually be driving slower than other people, being in a heavier, higher vehicle with maybe a little less idea of how slippery it actually is out there. Jeremy, I know we talk about this quite a bit when we're working with commercial drivers and the companies that employ them, you know, if they're providing vehicles to their employees, oftentimes they want to give certain employees big four-wheel drive vehicles because they want to make sure they can get places in inclement weather. And for parents, I'll say the same thing I say to these companies, invest in that midsize sedan, get winter tires for it, save yourself a fortune. Four-wheel drive is not going to make you stop any better. It's not going to make you turn any better. And ultimately, you will be safer for a myriad of reasons getting the right vehicle for these folks and just making sure that you have the right tires on it. So I know we're going to talk more about that in the future, but for parents who are thinking about that car, you might want to look listen back to our podcast where we talked about vehicle decisions as well as listen to the future podcast where we talk about inclement weather and how to choose the right tires. Jeremy, I thank you very much. And we hope you did pick up some new things by listening to us today. And we look forward to you hearing us again in the future. 